conversations that matter. With me, your host, Joanne Grobler, and this week's epic guest, Mike Danino, all the way from Melbourne. Before we bring in Mike, let me tell you a little bit about him. Mike Danino is a storytelling and communication expert who hosts the Mike Drop Moment podcast that is definitely one you guys should be checking out. He's written the book on company culture, company culture for dummies. He's been the executive producer of TEDx Cambridge and has been named a top 30 culture speaker by Global Guru. Mike teaches storytelling, virtual presence and public speaking to some of the biggest names and brands in the business. Mike, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, well. Technically, the second time round, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I think I manifested that. I just wanted to talk to you again, so I said, "Let's let's ruin the audio so we can do this all over." Because I just needed more time with you. Oh, now you know how to make a girl feel good. <laughs> so we're going to talk about your stop, pause, and think act, act moments. So one of the things that you briefed us in was when you, your first stop moment was this moment that you had, you were working at the protein bar company as chief operating officer. What, what happened there to create this stop moment? It feels like, you know, for many looking on, it would look like a really huge pinnacle of your career. Tell us about what happened and what created the stop moment. Well, for me, that moment came from kind of getting to a place where I had, I had grown the business from the beginning with with the founder. And so he was a CEO, I was the COO, and and in at pretty much everybody in all the other levels reported up to me. So all the VPs and all the directors and stuff, uh, minus like accounting and, and a few other things. And we were, you know, we'd opened 14 locations in Chicago and Washington, DC. We were getting ready to go to Colorado. And I just kept feeling this feeling of like, this isn't, this isn't what I want. I kind of, you know, was very lucky early in my career that I was a flight attendant when I was 20 and then 9-11 happened here in the US, the attacks at the World Trade Center. And I lost my job as a flight attendant, like so many people did. And I didn't know what to do. And I wound up in the restaurant industry. Uh, and while I was acting and the, like most people do, you know, it's like, I'm an actor slash my real job is acting like I love serving people, you know, potatoes. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, and I just was really good at it. And so I kept getting promoted, promoted to promoted, eventually was a director of training at a big brand, a big food brand. Then it was a, a head of um, wine and spirits training, then was a head of operations, then was a head of HR. And so I just kept doing the next thing because it was in front of me because it was offered to me. And I thought, okay, well, if you're trucking along in this path, there must be some kind of linear ladder you're supposed to climb. And so when they offer me the next rung on the ladder, I'll just take it because uh, that's what you do. And I had never really stopped to think about that. And so fast forward to 2013 and 2014, we were getting ready to go kind of do a majority deal with a private equity firm at Protein Bar. And I just wasn't really happy. I wasn't, I wasn't loving the work. I wasn't loving the grow for growth's sake. That's kind of what happens when you're in that. Uh, so protein bar is kind of like a, a version of like Pret, Pret-a-Manger, um, kind of a quick service food place with healthy food. And the goal in that industry, in those quick service restaurants, is that you grow them, that you just keep yeah. popping them up in every neighborhood. And there was something that I just didn't, 
it caused me to stop because I said, is this like, I got here, I got to the top of this, this ladder. This is what I'm going to do for a little while. Do I love it? Am I happy here? And so the end of 2013 is we were growing so quickly and adding new locations, adding teams, starting to deal with all the, the frustrations that come with that sometimes. I just had this stop moment of like, is this what I want to be doing? You know, mm-hmm. and, and I think my business partner knew as well. And we started having conversations about like, should I be there? Should I not be there? Eventually, I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast, by the way, this is exclusive for you. Eventually, oh. I got fired from the company I built. I got fired from my own company because wow. I was stopping so much to them. really think about it. You were stopping so much to think about it. So they exited you from the business. Yeah. Yeah. We went in and, and, you know, my business partner and I at the time, now we're, we're, we're friendly and we've, you know, done work with each other beyond that. Cause we both moved on to the next thing after that sale, but you know, came, we, I was like, we were arguing a lot and we didn't see the same things and we weren't agreeing on the origins of some of the challenges we were facing. And so that was really a, that was a stop moment for sure. It wasn't even my decision to stop. It was uh, the him and I, and I think the board said, wait a second, something's not right here. And so in the end, that ended up being a really big gift. But dang, was that really hard to be fired from something that you, you were doing really well at, you were doing great at, and that you helped create from the beginning. And it was like, how does this happen? But, you know, it happens. So that it's that moment. So you were already thinking, um, this isn't feeling right. There is something going on here in this origin and the values of what I'm hearing you say you signed up for and what you built. And then somebody goes, hey, there's the door because you're not they I sense they didn't feel you were traveling at the same speed or direction as them. How what happened for you in that moment when you got exited, Mike? Because knowing having been around you and you're this huge, you know, go get a character. You've already talked about that. What happened when somebody like showed you the door what did you do you know the the big thing and i think this probably applies for for you know everyone who's listening if you if you're out there thinking this it probably applies to you is i immediately kind of thought what is next what am i supposed to do i've got to do a thing because for so long like my whole life i was i was really good i was just talking about this with my husband last night of like oh yeah in high school i was the president of the spanish club the president of national honor society the president of the art club the editor of the newspaper i just have always been someone who works a lot and i i identify so much of my own identity in the work that i do and so all of a sudden for that to be gone there was this period where i was like who am i like yeah what who am i if i don't have that because that's how i've defined myself and especially at that point I was living in Chicago. I'd been in that game for 14 years in that restaurant world. I had a brand. People knew like, oh, if you need this kind of thing, if you want like a high culture, high story driven organization with like a, a, a really quality brand, you go to Mike Canino. Like that's the person you want. And so all of a sudden it was like, wait, am I not that person? Is everything I thought I was really good at there? And you have this moment. I certainly had this moment where I thought, oh, me without that. I don't know who that person is. So I've got a question for you. So you're in your pause moment. You've exited the business and you are you've recognized that you're this go, go, go person constantly. You know, you've talked about opportunity being offered to you, president of all the all the clubs at school. I just want to ask you while we're in the pause moment, where do you think that real 
drive come from in your origin story, Mike? What what happened for you to be that really super driven person? I mean, isn't this the funny thing about this is the funny thing about about story storytelling is that we get to look backwards and decide what it was because yeah. the truth is i have no actual idea and i don't think anyone does when they say like you know i remember when i was seven a man at a library told me this and i've never forgotten it and it's like i don't that's not really how personalities develop but okay sounds good yeah. uh so we always could do this in hindsight we could look back and say let me stick a label on some things and so if i was to do that i don't know if it's completely true but the sense making of it that i've been able to do is that you know i grew up as a kid uh, my mom was a, a teen teen parent my my parents were um you know we didn't have you know we lived in a trailer we didn't have a mobile um home we didn't have a lot of things um you know my parents got divorced and then we were my mom was a single mom trying to hold down jobs trying to do all these things I was diagnosed as type one diabetic when I was nine. Uh, I had that secret until I was 19 that, that I was gay, that nobody knew that I was dealing with. And I think that what I saw around me so often in the, in the, the people that never left the town I was from, the people that never left the, the trailer park, the people that never, uh, did the next thing is that, yeah, there are societal things that, that hold people back and oppress people for sure. hundred percent. Mm -hmm. And I also realized that there's a story that we get to tell about ourselves. And if you could get on a track with one that works for you, I think you can find some success. And so for me, the the constantly being busy doing things was probably partially because I felt this um, chip on my shoulder maybe that I had to do it, that I needed to, that, that I wasn't born to a middle-class or wealthy family, that I didn't have all those yeah. odds in my favor. And so I needed to do extra in order to to show up and, and kind of be seen. But I think it also came from the drive of wanting a different life than I had seen my parents have um, yeah. and wanting something different than what was just available on the table. And so I think when you don't like what's available on the table, then you got to make choices to to change it, to make something new or to go to a new table. And I think that's where my drive really came from and all of that. Oh, I get that because that, that's very similar to my origin story as well. I come from a very working class background, you know, in you know one of the outskirts of Manchester, and my parents worked at their same jobs for like forty years, and I was like, oh, I want more. I want to travel the world. I want to go and see what else is out there. <laughs> and when you make that choice to leave that origin story, I know for me personally, I was literally the I Mike. I left school with practically no qualifications. People who were at school with me now look at what I do and like, you know, they Google you and see what career you've got. They're like, how the hell did that happen? You were the thick kid at school. Yeah, yeah. And it's that drive, isn't it? I want more than what I'm being told I can have. So I'm going to go and get yes. it. And, you know, the, the missing link, and, and I think uh, hopefully more and more people are coming coming aware of this is, that there's that internal drive, there's the context that you're in, there's the world looking at you, there's all these little pieces that can fall into place. And some of them we can control, some of them we can't, some of them are are dangerous and scary and oppressive. Um, but even in those, and we've seen this from, from, from writers and authors and speakers, even in those circumstances, sometimes, somehow, some way, you have a little shred of hope that you can do something different. And I think that little shred of hope is real powerful. Even if it's just a tiny little thin strip, that hope 
is enough to hold on to, to say, let me try something else. Let me try the next thing. Yeah. And it's that, you've just got to keep going, being that brave, courageous person where, you know, it'd be so easy to stay in your origin story. Would it, would it be easy? Actually, no, it'd be incredible. When I said easy then I was like, oh my God, that would have been incredibly painful to stay in the origin story. But to step out, you've just got to like say, what's the next thing that I can do? Yeah. Yeah. And how is what I've been through somehow useful? I don't think that we go through all the stuff we go through to not use it. And so like how instead of, because I had this inclination of like, I don't want to talk about any of these things. I'm going to like not talk about where I'm from. I'm not going to do any of those things. And I realized that like we each uniquely, and I work on this with clients all the time who are speaking and, and wanting to be out there. We each uniquely have an experience on this earth that no one else has. No one. They could be from the same town. They could be from the same city. They could be from the same household with a sibling. And they have a very different experience of this life than you do. Completely. And that is, I think, a really interesting thing to say. I don't have to throw away all the bad stuff. I went through that bad stuff so that I can somehow use that in my next chapter. And I think that that's been an underscoring in my life. Not always easy in the moment, you know, like, you know, I got fired from a job that I helped create the business. And what did I do? Well, I got pissed off. I got angry. I went on a vacation to Disneyland for, to Disney World for a week with a friend, with my aunt. And, uh, and then I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll get there what I did next. But, uh, it wasn't easy in the moment, but sometimes looking back, you can give that story meaning because without, giving the experiences we have in our lives meaning they're just stuff that happened to us and so finding that meaning sometimes um even if it's just made up and you make yourself believe it i think can be helpful oh i love that because it is it's about owning isn't it owning why owning the bits that we know could potentially help others take that next step that little bit of hope that we really did grasp onto mike yeah that's it that's i think that's exactly it is we all go through things that if we can figure out how to share them in a way to help other people, well, wow, that makes it worth it, doesn't it? Yeah. So you, you've, you've exited, you've been to Disney with your aunt, had the best time, and you've now slowed down. And we talked about this briefly in the past. You know, you slowed down and you got really intentional about what you wanted to create next. What yeah. happened my, next? My little brain, you know, my little worker brain was like, go find the next company, go find the next, you know, restaurant brand to grow, go look for the thing. And so I did that for a little bit. And, and then I did, for whatever reason, I had this, this uh, insight to say, don't, you don't have to do that. You have money. You're, you know, you're not, you're not, there's no reason that you have to immediately jump back in and be the, C, the chief operating officer of another company. Cause you, cause I was telling myself, like you were feeling this way before you got fired. Like you were feeling this way before then. So what was that about? Because sure, getting fired and needing the next job makes sense, but you were feeling this way for six months, eight months before that. So why would you jump back into the next thing, which is going to be the same game? Like those quick service food brands, that's what they do. They grow and they multiply. So for me, not wanting to do that, I was like, okay, what is it? What is that? And I wish it was like very clear. That I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to become a trainer and a speaker and an author. Uh, it wasn't that clear. I kind of stumbled around some things. We moved from Chicago to Los Angeles. Uh, initially, I was like, I'm going to be a, a food and 
travel show host. And I thought if I just walked along Sunset Boulevard long enough, someone would walk up and say, you, you should be a star, buddy. Uh, that's not how it works in Hollywood, by the way. Uh, I think it might have back in the golden age in like the 20s or something. But in 2014, when I moved back to LA, there, uh, there wasn't just people waiting on the street to knock on my door. And so I started, I found a, a coach, a video coach, like a hosting, like how to host coach. And she's a really good friend now, Shannon O'Dowd. And she said, you know, if you want to get hired for these food and travel type shows, then you need to have a brand. And I was like, okay, yeah, I have a brand. What am I about? So that got me thinking about what am I about? What am I doing? Put up a website, made some videos. And I thought, Again, someone's on Sunset Boulevard scrolling through their phone and they're going to find my website and they're going to say, <laughs> you should have a show on the Travel Channel. Uh, it didn't work out that way. But what did happen is that I started getting people reaching out to me for consulting work. And so Ooh. I thought, oh, consulting work to help other people, you know, think about how they could grow their brand, their, their restaurant, food, hotel brand in a high culture positive way with lots of storytelling and lots of lots of that kind of thing. So I started doing consulting and I realized pretty quickly I was feeling the same way that I felt before. So I was like, wait a second. I don't like this anymore. I don't want how did I end up doing I lost a job and then I made a job that I hate. So what am I going to do? And it happened by luck, really. Someone that I had done consulting for said, you know, can you come talk to our team? And I went and I did a workshop on storytelling for leaders. And so how do you get things done? And how do you inspire a team through storytelling? And I was like, this, this I like. So I started doing more of that, the workshops and stuff. And then that led to speaking, which was someone had seen me at a workshop and then said, hey, do you want to come keynote our event? And I was like, sure. And they sent me, so funny, Joe, they sent me a, a email after to confirm. And it was like, the honorarium is, you know, X, Y, Z amount. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to pay them? I thought I had to pay them the honorarium because I didn't know. I didn't know anybody who was a speaker. Yeah. I knew that there were like famous authors who would speak, but I didn't know normal people who spoke. And so I was like, oh, shoot. And I was like, well, I don't really know why it would be worth it. I don't have anything to sell the audience. I don't have any books to give them. So I don't know why I would pay this much money to talk to them. So I Googled, thank goodness I Googled it, Joe. I Googled honorarium and I was like, wait, they want to give me that much money? Like, they want me to come talk to people for an hour and they're going to pay me. Okay. This oh, I like. Wow. And, uh, and that eventually led me there. And uh, I was doing, it's really, so I did that about a year. I was speaking at all these hotel, restaurant, retail, franchise conventions and things like that. Talking about storytelling inside of company culture. And then a client called and said, uh, Hey, we want to have you, you know, we're doing our conference again and we want to work with you. I was like, Oh, great. You want me to come back again um, and speak? Okay, cool. She's like, no, 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 we don't want you to speak. And I thought, well, that's rude. Like, you don't want me to speak. What's that mean? She said, we want you to coach our executive team on speaking because they're all going to be presenting at this conference. And the feedback we've got is that it's just so boring and dismal and dry and not helpful and a drag. So can you help them? And I thought, oh, this is interesting. So that's how I ended up becoming a public speaking coach. And then I pretty quickly tilted my, my brand and my messaging from like company culture to helping people with public speaking, with storytelling, with that kind of communication. And I ended up in a place that I, I didn't feel the yuckies every time I had to go to work anymore. And, and uh. that's how I know kind of, I got the thing for now, who knows in a year, maybe I'll feel the yuckies and I'll reassess. But the, um, the space to, 
you know, I didn't get to decide the stop. I didn't choose to stop. <laughs> like yeah. they, they yeah. stopped me with that, with my, the end of my contract, they stopped me. And, but I did make the chance, the choice to pause, to not go right into the next gig, to not go looking for another company to run. I did do that. And through that, it led me to think about what I really want. And so that, that little trio of ideas there, the, the stop, pause and think uh, kind of a perfect example of how that played out for me. Ah. And so when you then realize that this is your thing, you know, this, this through line of storytelling of coaching people, how to tell really engaging and I've seen you speak Mike many, many times. And I, you are just an incredibly exciting, thoughtful speaker. Every time. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. And and I've seen you work with people and, and help people actually become that version of themselves, be that in incredibly engaging person that you just want to hear more of. How did that first gig go then? We're speaking with these very dry, you know, you'd already been told they're very dry. How how did that happen? How did all that unfold, that first coaching these major leaders into being better speakers? Well, you know what it's you know what it taught. I mean, it taught me like the power of creating some kind of framework or methodology because that first one I went in and it was like, great, I've got these uh, five or six, I don't remember how many, it was five or six people, you know, the head of HR, the head of marketing, the head of sales, the head of operations, the CEO, all those people. And I just went in with like, okay, let's do everything. Let me help you. And I was like, wait, what am I doing? I'm doing, I feel this or I was loving the work. Like I was loving, like working through, because like you said, my belief in the public speaking thing is that we don't need all the pedantic heuristic steps people are giving all the technique. Yeah. We need far less of that. And, and so much public speaking coaching, uh, almost every public speaking book is about that. And what I do differently that I was like, I guess I just have to teach them what I know how to do is how do I just get up there and have a conversation with 200, 300, 10,000 people and not put on a show. I don't need to be an actor. I don't need to add all these layers to it. What I need to do is figure out how to get rid of all the stuff that isn't me so that I can just be me and talk to them. And I knew that that's what I was trying to do with them, but I didn't know what to call it. And so after that gig, I really thought about I thought deeper about, okay, people are paying me to help them do what I do, but my core message is don't do what I do. <laughs> so what I want you to do is do what you do. And so I thought, okay, I need to create a framework, a formula for that. And so that's really what it taught me there because I probably, <clears throat> I mean, at the end of that, I probably made $8 an hour or something <laughs> because I worked so much because I was, I was messy with like, okay, wait. I got them where they needed to go. They gave brilliant, brilliant talks. Uh, people loved it. They hired me again for the following year to help them again with their with their messaging and their on the stage. But I I was working so much behind the scenes because I just didn't have a framework that I could rely on to help me get them there. So that was the big thing that that taught me was create a methodology so you can run people through it, uh, and it'll be a little bit easier for them and for me. Yeah, and you know, like that methodology. Like you're saying, you know, you originally, you know, must have been about eight dollars an hour. How's that methodology you created way back then serving you now? Um, it's evolved, of course. It's changed as mm. I've learned things and as I've grown. It's it's switched, but I mean, these essentially like the the I look at it as a Venn diagram, right? There's these three circles, these three circles yeah. that overlap, and in the middle is the thing we want to go for, and I call that being a certified original, meaning you are here Ooh. with your message, with your experience. No one can create it. So, to be a certified original, what certified original? 
Yes, certified. Doesn't sound good. Oh, that is like on the show notes. <laughs> yes, and that well, like, and that's that, what we all want. Oh, yeah, that's the essence of everything, isn't it? Just to be a certified original. Yeah, I love that, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. So that, and that's the, by the way, that's the title of my, my, um, uh, high level coaching program as well. But the goal in it is that those three circles that overlap to create that certified original in the middle, a certified original again is it's, I mean, the name explains it so well, but it's, you are uniquely here with the unique experiences you've had that no one else on earth has ever had. Even if they are your twin sibling, they have not had the same experiences as you had. They haven't responded the same way. They haven't thought the same thing. And you can see this all the time by two people can be at the same movie and walk away with a different feeling. Why is that? Well, because we are each certified originals. And when we can learn to express that better, I think that's what makes a great public speaker, a great leader is being able to do that. And so these three circles that that intersect, one of them is um, around clarity of ideas. Ideas. So what is your thought leadership? What is it that you want to be known for? How clearly and concisely can we talk about the thing that you, you know, your, your intellectual property? So that's one circle. Yeah. And then the second circle is story crafting. So how do you actually turn that into messages, whether it's on video, whether it's on stages, whether it's a signature talk, when you go on a podcast and someone says, hey, tell us about yourself. How do you turn your ideas and your experiences into really compelling stories, presentations, those kinds of things. So that's that second circle. And then the third circle is around uh, is around stagecraft. How do you actually show up? And when I say stagecraft, I mean on videos, on podcasts, all of the places where you're in front of other people sharing your ideas and your stories. And my approach to that is different than other folks would have it because I don't believe that our job is to like have a script and learn to perform the script and memorize it. I, I think a lot of damage can be done that way. What uh, I do think. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Is that I, I, if you we and can. I have worked, yeah. You, I'm just going to show because you and I, I was having a great conversation with on about other favorite people who's Miss Darcy, who's also on the podcast where I was talking about when I'm so scripted, Mike, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I, it's, I think it's most people. Yeah. Do you? Wow, I think it's most people. I have I have found very I think at this point I've coached multiple thousands of people on public speaking or storytelling, either directly one-on-one in group workshops or something, but thousands and thousands of people at this point. And it is because think about this. Okay, so if you write a script and then you try to memorize a script, right? Mm. Now, when you're on stage in front of people, you can do it wrong. Mm. Think about the anxiety that causes. Because ah, if I haven't memorized I my script. I can't perform because I'm so worried about getting it right that I've stopped focused on getting it through, getting it through to the audience, getting the message through. And I find that the the really, really scripted, rehearsed things, unless you're a really brilliant actor, it's not, I mean, think about like a high school student who reads, uh, who's doing, uh, who's in Macbeth and, sh and is playing Lady Macbeth. Now you think about that performance. It's the same script, same clothes, same everything, but then give that same role to an actress like Meryl Streep. You think those performances are going to be different? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But they have yeah. the same script. They have the same script. They have the same notes. They could even have the same director, but there's something different there. And, and it's our job in the stagecraft part, that circle is not to learn to be somebody else, to become an actor to become a performer, any of those things. It's about how do we remove all the stuff that is not us so we can just be us. And, and of course, does that involve voice? Certainly, because from childhood, 
we are judged on the way we sound. And so we start to play with our voice differently to be safe. So we need to unrip all the stuff off and let your real voice come out. The way we move, well, We've been taught that X, Y, and Z is not good. And so we move this way versus let's get rid of all those things and just be you. How would you express this idea? How do you want to share this thing? And so those three circles, when you, when you get them all right, you end up as a certified original. And that I think is what we all want. And I think it's what yeah. audiences want to see. You are definitely the original certified original, Mike. Thank you for that. When I see you on stage, I'm like, yeah, I just want to be Mike Nino when I grow up. That's who I want to be. Like, you know, that that sheer confidence of telling these engaging stories. I think I know from my own experience, like I'm like, I don't want to speak anymore if I have to be scripted because I yeah. can't do it. Yeah. So I think, you know, you talking about and I think something really interesting, ripping off the the voice, you know, I, I was I was putting them, I was made to go to elocution lessons as a child. Because I come from North Manchester, which is, you know, quite a, a Mancunian accent. And I remember <laughs> it, was, it wasn't safe for me to speak like that. That was one of the things that I heard. I think wow. outside looking in, I remember, you know, that's what I, you know, when I said to you, people are like, how have you ended up doing what you're doing? You never used to speak. Because I was being constantly getting the message that how you speak isn't appropriate. Yep. Yep. So then we stop telling stories. We just So the fact that you're getting people to rip off this whole origin stuff that we've been given for years and years, that is why you're so blinking brilliant at your job. And isn't it, thank you for that. And it's interesting too, because the, you know, people talk about public speaking and it being a fear, right? It's like, it's such a big fear. Yeah. I think that uh, I like to update that and, and, and I change it a little bit. I think that fear is okay. Fear is really good. Fear keeps us from being healthy. squished by a bus, keeps yeah, us healthy. safe that we just don't unlock our doors and throw all the money on the front porch and say, come inside, there's more. Fear is good thing. Mm. The the, the place where it gets dangerous, that it gets dangerous in front of people in boardrooms, on stages, on podcasts, on video, is when it's fear plus uncertainty. Mm. That equals anxiety. And the uncertainty, I believe, Joe, largely comes from one relying too much on data and information and not enough story and perspective in a talk so when you have more story and perspective you can't be wrong because it's like this is what i noticed and what i felt and what i saw i'm not trying to show you like this stat or this figure i'm going to share with you this insight i came through maybe you can have the same one when we do that we become more certain because like well i know my stories I know what happened to me. I know how I feel about this thing that just occurred. So I feel really confident about that. That sounds good. The other thing that leads to anxiety with public speaking is that lead that leads to uncertainty that leads to anxiety is not being grounded enough in those three circles. So not really being grounded enough in like, what is my actual idea? What is my through line on this world that I'm trying to do? Even whether I sell websites, whether I sell executive coaching, whether I sell books down by the seashore, what is the through line of my life, regardless of which of those that I'm doing, that it would be the same? And I don't think enough people have explored that. And so when you get in front of an audience to share with them that, you're uneven because you're like, oh, do I believe this? Do I not? What do I believe? What, what's going on here? When you have that conviction of it, it's much easier. And then that third part, the stagecraft piece, when you learn how to use humor without having to become someone who tells jokes, when you learn how to move your body as yourself to 
use as a visual tool, it becomes so different. And for me, the uncertainty comes from not knowing how to do all those things, which leads to the public speaking anxiety. Oh, Mike, you are a magician. So you have built this business now. Where you're in this action, you've thought about this, you've found your sweet spot of storytelling and helping people find their voice and speak really powerfully on stage. How is your indie action, Mike? How has your business gone from where it was to where it is now? What has been the key things that you found have really worked for you? You know, I, I always think that we are, you know, have you seen that activity where they have you do like a lot of online co courses and coaches have you do this like, who is your ideal customer avatar? Um, and then you make up some random thing. It's like, her name is Claire and she's 42 and she lives in the suburbs with a dog named Benji. And it's like, what? how are I think it's all, all that is like not that helpful, by the way. So the, the thing for me is that I believe, especially for public speakers, that our ideal customer is us a few years ago, maybe five, maybe 10, yeah. I don't know, yeah. but it's us in the past and that we can learn so much more from that because guess what? Now, when I get on stage and I talk about, um, I talk about finding your stories and how to do it, I could share times when I didn't do that. And I could say, look, here's what I was going through and this discovery I had in the audience like, oh, I get it. Yeah, I could go through that. And so for me and, and how the business kind of grew was really sinking into those three circles of certified original, really getting super clear on like, what am I saying here? You know, a lot of times I'll work with a new speaker and they'll say, yeah, I just want to be a speaker. And it's like, okay, about like, what do you want? What do you want to see change in the world? And it's like, well, I mean, if you, I'll talk to high school students about rabbits, I'll talk to nurses about doctors, I'll talk to shopkeepers about credit cards. I'll just do anything. I just want to be in front of them. And it's like, no, okay. Then what you want to be is an entertainer and you should go seek out another kind of thing. If you want to be a speaker, what is the idea? What is the thing you want to see shifted in the world? And so for me, my growth, my success, the moment when things really started popping Thing is when I got really clear on what that through line was for me. And then when I could express that, I noticed, oh, now that through line can live on my website. That through line can live on my podcast. That through line can live on the, I'm in front of a room of people. That through line can live on, Joe invited me to her podcast and I'm talking to people about it. Now that, and what happened is it almost became a, uh, a tuning fork of sorts, mm -hmm. where when I got tapped into that frequency, people saw it, people spoke about it, people shared it. And it didn't become something where people are like, I don't know what he does. It's like, oh no, I know what he does. That to me was the critical moment there. And then I could use all the storytelling and all the stagecraft to uh, build momentum behind that movement. But I had to get clear on what the movement was first. Yeah. Yeah. What's the next, what's the next steps for Mike Anino in his career? What's happening? <laughs> well, I have a newborn baby. So finding, oh. um, finding normality <laughs> again is the quest, but audience you I, have to go and check out Mike's Instagram because he has the <laughs> most beautiful baby known to man she is she is so delicious I just love her oh, um for, for me the big things are you know we're, we're launching this certified originals program it's been the it's been the one-on-one -on -one coaching I've done with people for a while but I realize the power of people witnessing each other and learning. So we're putting it together as this group program. So that's coming out uh, this spring, summer, it'll be like Mayish. And then the other thing I want to do is I really love gathering of people. 
So my my idea is to run a bunch of these live workshops in really cool places that people want to go. Uh, maybe Barcelona, maybe yes. Edinburgh, who knows? Yes. Um, Porto, Portugal, Los Angeles, yes. wine country. Um, around the pieces for, that would I'm go- I'm in for all those locations. <laughs> That's good. Yes, yes, yes. I need you. I need you. Um, and so the idea is running live events that w would help people with specific things. So whether that's uh, really clarifying what the movement is, what that through line is for them so that they could say, great, now I know how to put this, I know how to express, or I know what I'm expressing now. Um, whether it's, you know, small workshops on how to, how to make money with your mouth, right? How do you make money? Oh talking to people so not just saying you're going to trademark that how are you going to make money with your mouth <laughs> i should it's probably like trademarked by like some adult industry company or something but i'm gonna look for it i'm gonna look for i it. think we need to look into that because that is a killer how to make money with your mouth my yeah. thing, you know there you go well, it, be, because the other thing <laughs> yes you're so right the other thing is that we um so often when I work with someone on the speaking side, it's like they want to, they're like, oh yeah, I want to be this speaker who's getting paid, you know, uh, 15 to 20,000 US dollars to be on stage. And it's like, that's like saying, I want to be the actor who wins an Academy Award. It's, yeah. it's hard work and it takes a lot of branding, but I am confident because I've done it for myself that if someone has some kind of coaching program, some kind of business, anything that they can offer someone that speaking is the number one way to be seen as a thought leader. When you're seen as a thought leader and you're engaging and you're great on stage and you tell great stories, you become irresistible. And now guess what? Everyone wants to work with you. Cause I'll be, I'll be honest, the most I've ever been paid for a speaking gig when someone gave me money to stand on a stage and talk was $18,000. That was one time only. Normally it's like 10 to 12, but I got $18,000 one time to give a big keynote. It was just the right audience. I had the right message. It was all popping hot. You know, everything was great. Yeah. Now, the most money I've made from speaking, $300,000 from one speaking gig. And I spoke for free. I didn't get paid for that gig. But at that gig, I had a talk that really, really was killer that opened up the minds for the audience of what was possible for them. And they were like, I don't know how I can go back. Like, how do I go back to my job? How do I go back to my business now that I know what Mike just helped me know? And so then it's a natural thing to create some kind of offer to work with them. And so one free gig got me $300,000 with the revenue. And I think so many people are selling their movement and their ideas short by saying, I only want to figure out a way to just get paid to show up on stage because I think that's a long game. And I think the shorter game, like you can make money next week is delivering a really great talk, have a really great offer. And people will flock to you to say, I want some of that. And you don't even have to do it in a slimy, like, here's the order form, run to the back of the room before we sell out. I always think that's really crazy, by the way, of like, we're going to sell out of digital products. <laughs> that's not yeah, how it works. Like, count. there's enough courses. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense. So, so I believe that if someone's a chiropractor, if someone's a real estate agent, if someone is a coach, an author, an entrepreneur, if there's something that people could choose to work with you outside of hearing you talk, then speaking is the number one tool to grow your brand, grow your business, grow your thought leadership. Oh, what a moment to finish on. You leveraged one free, in essence, conversation, killer talk to leverage £300,000 worth of revenue. And wouldn't we all just love to be in that position?
Mike, that's an amazing point of taking action. And I think you have just rounded up where we, I think we get so caught in being in the lane of I have to get paid for every single thing that I do, that we have to have the strategy to look what what's the options, what's further down the pipe, what's what's around the corner that we cannot actually see. And you've just come up, summed it up there. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Mike and Eno, you have been an incredible guest on this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a it was a blast. We, you can find all the details of Mike's courses, Mike's podcast. You must check that out. Everything will be in the details below. I highly recommend you go and spend some time looking through all of Mike's content because it is pretty epic. Thanks again, Mike. <laughs>